0: Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Alexander Freed, most recently of the Alphabet Squadron trilogy. I really loved this conversation, tracing his journey from Bioware's Old Republic to Dark Horse Comics, to insider short stories, to of course, full-length Star Wars novels, and whether it's his Rogue One novelization or his most recent book, Victory's Price, an Alexander Freed Star Wars story is always one to be celebrated. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 103, Alexander Freed. I'll gush about Alphabet Squadron when the time comes. But I'd love to just kind of start really at the beginning. And what I ask everyone is first experiences with Star Wars and then also early inspirations. If Star Wars wasn't necessarily the inspiration for you to become a writer or become a creator, what was and what was kind of that impetus for you?
1: Yeah, so my, I mean, my first exposure to Star Wars was uh, the original trilogy. Um, I think my, the very, very first memory I have is renting a VCR and a cassette tape of The Empire Strikes Back. But I, you know, I loved those films when I was young. I would come from home from school and like watch a little piece at a time every day and sort of serialize it myself over the course of a week or two. And I was, yeah, I was deeply passionate uh, as only a child can be. <laughs> you know, I never had the action figures. I never sort of waded into the, the larger scope of Star Wars material. And I actually kind of left it behind a bit as I as I got older. I, I came of age in that period between the original and prequel trilogies. So, you know, there wasn't the sort of big world-shaking events. and somehow I just never found my way to the, uh, the novels and comics. Um, you know, I, I developed a part of my love of Star Wars came from this, you know, I had a deep love of science fiction and fantasy literature, uh, and that sort of, that was my world for for a very long time. And I didn't come back to Star Wars really until I started working on it professionally.
0: Well, I mean, let's talk about, obviously, you're referencing the awesome work you did at Bioware. And what was kind of the path that took you to, I mean, I, that's a not a dream role for people, but that is, that is such a storied kind of place, especially Old Republic has... If you're talking Star Wars fans, there's a huge chunk that are just specifically fans of kind of that world that was created. And I'd love to kind of maybe chart your journey to get to that point even, because that's that's very interesting.
1: Bioware was my first job within the video game industry. Um, and mm-hmm. at that time, I had been, you know, I'd been doing small amounts of fiction. I'd sold some some short stories and this and that, but most of my time was in pen and paper role playing games. So, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type stuff. Right. And I, you know, I love doing that material. You know, it's it's never been the the healthiest industry, but, you know, it's it's this really enjoyable mix of, you know, fiction and game development and, you know, figuring out ways to tell stories where the agency is in the hands of another audience all of which folds really well into video game design. So I I had that underneath me. I didn't have any video game experience, but I I had enough concepts that were tangentially related to uh, to what video games do. And you know, I saw uh, really it was a a cold application to to Bioware. They had they had a job opening for a writer, and it wasn't until. Um, I sort of got deep into that process. That I learned that it was for Star Wars: The Old Republic.
0: So, with The Old Republic specifically, I know you you worked on. Uh, I think the Imperial Agent class was like your main kind of role, at least initially. What was that like? Diving back into the Star Wars universe for you, as you mentioned, like maybe not being as familiar as you were. Like I'm sure that was kind of the ultimate crash course <laughs> in getting back up to speed.
1: There was a, there was a lot. I mean, I was vaguely aware of some of the material out there. Like I think at the time I knew that Luke had gotten married. I'd read a small number of Star Wars comics um, mm-hmm. because I was a huge fan of John Ostrander, who Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, I loved him originally from, you know, his work on Suicide Squad and The Spectre and Grimjack, mm-hmm. but you know, I learned that he was writing Star Wars comics. So I had I'd read some of those. And right. So I had, you know, an, an in deep knowledge of right. the expanded universe but fortunately uh the the writers team on the old republic it, it had a good mix of people you know from folks who were not really deeply aware to people who were like oh yes let me bring in all my west end game supplements to the yes. star wars rpg um, right. You know, people who were huge fans of, uh, you know, the X-Wing novels or the Republic mm-hmm. of novels novels, just all sorts of stuff. Uh, I was introduced to Wikipedia for the first time. And, you, you know, there there were a few months in there where those of us who were particularly new would just, like, yell across the room, look, look what I found. There, there's a thing called <laughs> Hologram Fun World. What, what did that appear in? And we would just sort of enjoy immersing ourselves in it all together. But it was... That's great. You know, I, I say that not to mock, right? Because, sure. of course, you know, Hologram Fun World, if if I'm remembering right, that appeared in something for young readers originally, right? right. Like it was a program. It was lighthearted. Yeah. And when you're just reading encyclopedia entries, you don't get that sort of context. But, yeah, getting introduced to the, the vast, vast scope was just great fun. And of course, there's a lot of really good material in there, along with material that, you know, maybe hasn't totally hold up to the test of time, but still has something interesting to it.
0: Yeah. And it's funny, because Wikipedia is such an interesting example of of kind of like a, a very holistic look at Star Wars because of what you're saying, right? Like the Glove of Darth Vader is given almost equal importance to maybe a Zahn novel, right? And it's funny them trying to juxtapose that and make it all fit within a, a certain fabric. Yeah, I mean, it's... Of, for that in, its, in itself. It, yeah, you know? it's,
1: it's an art form unto itself and it creates a different image of the star wars universe than you would get from any of those individual works but that's that's one of the things that makes it interesting
0: definitely and then of course your work at Bioware and Old Republic led to your first published Star Wars pieces, which were the the comics that kind of accompanied Old Republic to begin with. What was that like and especially delving into then a dark horse world and obviously you were a big comic book fan before like translating what you were doing for video games into writing for comic books must have been a feat in itself.
1: Yeah, I mean that was the first um that was the first published comic book work I had done. I had written some comic scripts before so it wasn't a totally foreign land but uh-huh. um, yeah it was it was exciting for me like I I'm deeply passionate about comics. I think it's a really interesting medium and getting to go like, okay, here are here are all the things that comics can do. I'm already doing all these things that video games can can do. I don't have to worry about those. I'm not going to try to do the video game. I just want to figure out what's interesting visual storytelling right. and not have to worry about, oh, you know, I can't do a crowd scene in the video game because that's going to be absolutely miserable for the artists and the cinematics team and so on and so forth I can I can just ask the poor uh, comic book uh, artist to oh yeah draw about 100 people in the background it'll be fine Um, and of course that is incredibly challenging in its own way, but it's the sort of challenge that, you know, comic book pencillers are used to dealing with and embrace. And so long as they have interesting stuff, uh, tolerate the whims of, uh, of writers.
0: <laughs> I, I do love this journey because you go, you know, comic books, I love, I mean, side note, the, the Purge series itself is, is one of my favorite just arcs, especially yours. And so then Seeing your name over and over again as time went on, and then I think there were some insider short stories as well. So by the time they announced, oh, Alexander Freed writing the Battlefront tie-in novel, I was familiar with your work in Star Wars, which was nice. You were you were like training, I guess, in a way for the uh, for a novel, right? It was a full Star Wars novel, and I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about that first one. It was like a proto-alphabet squadron almost. What was your experience with with Del Rey and with creating a brand new world which might not have been illustrated or in a video game? Yeah, I mean, that,
1: that training for the Star Wars novel is is not a bad way to put it. I mean, it it was a case where, you know, I I had never published a novel before. Like I said, I had done prose. I had done original prose. I had done some short stories for Star Wars Insider. So there was some notion of, yes, he can put together a sentence. But uh, largely it was a product of uh, some of the folk. you know, so there was... Uh, I'm going to get the the exact line <laughs> of succession incorrect here, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's a, a fellow named Frank Parisi who had been at uh, Lucasfilm as the licensing representative for some of the comics that I had done. Uh, So he had seen some of that. He eventually moved over to Delray, Um, you know, Delray had seen some of the short stories. So he had been, uh, you know, one of my, my biggest backers as like, Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of the stuff that this guy has done. I know Jen Heddle over at Lucasfilm had also, Mm -hmm. you know, really liked some of the, the insider short story stuff that I'd done. So I felt very, very lucky to get that call kind of out of the blue and the, the amount of faith being put in me of yeah you you want to do a novel like so far as we can tell you can do it and we'd really like you to do do you think you can do it <laughs> wow th- thank you for that that leap of faith yeah and yeah getting getting the chance especially to do a novel with a full cast of original characters yeah. was a, a great privilege like it's I like creating new parts in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I'm sure there are writers whose, whose heart is with getting to write, you know, the film characters. That's, I've certainly done that and I've enjoyed it, uh, but I, I really do create enjoy creating these new casts. You know, the the Battlefront game did not have a great deal of story attached to it, so that gave me a ton of freedom and it was really just, yeah, do do a military story in the Star Wars universe and go with that, go where that takes you. Yeah. And I I did my best
0: with it. <laughs> it turned out great. I really enjoyed it. So there you <laughs> go. The progression then of, of your work into the novels, the Rogue One novelization, again, we get them every time a movie comes out. Some are incredible, some are not so great. And the Rogue One still stands out to me. The I loved the in-betweens with the different like transmissions. I loved all of that. And then I especially loved seeing some of that carry through to the Alphabet Squadron books, especially like Chaz's like, relationship with Jyn Erso. I'd be interested with your delving into the Rogue One world and kind of joining this lineage of the Alan Dean Fosters. And, you know, like, I grew up reading all those books. What was it like for you to kind of do a star wars novelization right going from creating a brand new character cast and and something that we hadn't really seen in military star wars to then having to create a story with within a a story that was already kind of told for you
1: yeah i mean that was that was a strange experience like novelizations are a are a bizarre art form of their own Mm -hmm. and one of the one of the first things that I did um, you know when I was approached about that that project was literally to Google how to write a novelization. Um, go, <laughs> okay, this is not something I've thought about right. before. Let me go out there and, search for advice from, you know, interviews with people like Alan Dean Foster and, you know, a a whole host of uh, of folks who have done this in the past. And I dived into that, you know, I I tried to compare it to, you know, I had done some co-writing of comic books and certainly in in the video game world, um, there had been projects where there was a plot already in place that I was then to write dialogue for. Right. So, you know, I tried to keep those experiences in mind to to an extent, um, but ultimately it was its own weird thing, and it was it was fascinating. I mean, getting to do a novelization, you know, one I felt like my my remit was justify this thing's existence. Right. Back in the eighties things were, you know, 80s and 70s, sort of the prime heyday of the film novelization. Mm -hmm. The audience was largely people who, you know, didn't get to the theater or who had seen it in the theater, but there was no home video readily available. So they could relive the experience in the novelization. And that is much, much less the case nowadays. So, you know, my, my task so far as I was concerned was, all right, what is this for? Why... Why is this interesting artistically and you know the answers that I found were all right let's let's get deep deep inside the heads of the characters and yeah. that's something that films just can't do in that same way. let's sort of bring in other things that will only work in text mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk mm-hmm. about the sort of documentary feel of rogue one at the time so you know i was thinking all right well what's a documentary in text well like what what would the non-fiction version of rogue one include and it was like okay well you know let's let's have memos from the rebel alliance yeah. let's have little little quote non-fiction excerpts yeah. and And just trying to find ways to do that, um, while at the same time managing all of the oddness of, all right, this needs to be exactly the length of a novel. This can't be shorter. This can't be two novels length. So I need to make sure that as I go through each page of script, I am, you know, doing roughly... 10 pages or whatever of book which you know is not how I normally think but it was one one more aspect to juggle but it was also I mean all of those challenges were interesting but it also gave me a real chance to not have to worry about the plot to an extent and just focus on writing interesting sentences and just getting the the page by page as as solid as it could in a way that that you don't get an opportunity to if you are working on everything else about a novel at the same time
0: that was a very long answer no i love I, I i loved it I could I, in case you cannot tell i'm, I'm just loving it because the rogue one novelization i read it and then i also listened to it and the listening was even better because it adds all the little sound effect you know what i mean That's it was the, yeah
1: i have not uh, i I don't listen to my own audiobooks, not out of any um ill will towards them. but you know right. I, it's just a strange experience, right? It's i yeah. I can't listen to myself in an interview either because I don't like the sound <laughs> of my own voice. It's a very similar thing yeah. for audiobooks. but right. yeah, the the middle ground between uh, between film and novelization and then audiobooks somewhere in between. I, mean, I suppose I did love the Star Wars radio dramas uh, yes. when, when I was young. So I guess there's there's another step in the spectrum uh, there.
0: Definitely. Well, I mean, moving into Alphabet Squadron, which is, because uh, so, I've read them, and then I actually just re-listened, because I had Audible credits, I was like, let me listen to Alphabet Squadron on the way down to Houston. And it was interesting, because I had to remind myself, like, how things were spelled, right? Because when you're introduced <laughs> to all new characters, I'm like, okay, like, yes, like, Chaz, like, how do you say, you know, anyway, so moving into Alphabet Squadron, because we, we kind of are charting this journey, and a lot of it is handed to you, or a lot of it is maybe parts of the script are already kind of uh, set for you, but then with Alphabet Squadron, I really cannot think of a, of a similar scenario, maybe beyond the new Thrawn books that Zahn's putting out, but even then, there are characters that are already kind of set up. You have, have been given a, a chunk of a Star Wars time period in a galaxy to really just kind of flesh out and and tell a really fully formed story, which is is now ending with Victory's Price, that is so incredible and so reminiscent of kind of the days we we're talking about that maybe you missed a little bit, but like of the X-Wing novels, of these times where we don't know any of these characters. We know Hera, <laughs> Akbar shows up, spoiler, you know, it's just like and that's it. Like we really don't have much to grasp onto like a Luke or a Han. But by the end of this trilogy, even by the end of the first book, but, like, these are three-dimensional characters that feel like they could just walk onto the set of Mandalorian or whatever, and you like, yep, there's Will, which is incredible. And I'd love to just kind of start at the beginning. How did you get approached? What was the conversation? Obviously, that first one was a Marvel tie-in. Now I'm talking too much, <laughs> but, but what was that process like uh, for you? Sure. I mean, I,
1: uh, at the time that
0: I was approached, it had been uh, been a
1: little while since I had done anything Star Warsy. I think uh, between between the Rogue One novelization and uh, and Alphabet Squadron, I had maybe done a, a from a certain point of view short story, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I was I was busy with other projects. I wasn't really thinking that anything Star Warsy was was coming along in the immediate future. Um, so um, yeah, it, it it came pretty much by a surprise, and certainly. The notion of, hey, we want you to do a trilogy was a bit of a shock. I mean, it was it was immensely flattering, but it was, oh yeah, that's there aren't a lot of those right now. And I I don't know why you think I am the one to do this, but I mean, ultimately I I couldn't really say no. Um, I was very busy at the time. So <laughs> part of me felt like no was the reasonable answer, but it, you know, I kept looking at the schedule and figuring it out and going like, okay, I have to make this happen. I can't, I can't turn down this chance. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the form that it sort of came in was we're doing this, this trilogy. We want it to be a part of this is not Del Rey or Lucasfilm's words this is this is my own words we, we want it to be part of this sort of Star Wars transmedia starfighter experience um right, right? we're going to be doing a Marvel comic series we've got the video game squadrons coming up we right. want it all sort of to at least loosely align um we want it to touch on one another. It's not, you know, you're not doing a squadron's novelization. You're not doing, you know, some sort of back and forth with the comic, but we want all this stuff to, to function together. Um, And it was kind of handed, we want this time period. We want uh, the, the basic alphabet squadron concept, the let's, let's do mismatch ships a little bit of sort of, Hey, you know, We'd we'd like them to be going up against some sort of elite Thai unit. Um, you know, here's here's the areas kind of not to go, and we want Hera in there somewhere. Um, right, and that's that's kind of what I was given, and and we we ran with it from from there. Yeah, I'm sure there was some other part of your question that I'm now blanking <laughs> on, but that's that was the very beginning of that's uh, great. the project.
0: I mean, part, part of that beginning, like you mentioned, was the comic series TIE Fighter. I yes. Believe, Jody Hauser. For the first book, especially, how much were y'all in communication? Again, talking about three dimensional characters, it was really nice kind of getting a separate look and also being able to visualize just a tiny bit about what that period looks like. And even just seeing Erica kind of in a comic book for a second was really nice. What was that relationship like as you kicked off the trilogy? And like, how did that maybe influence decisions or how did that kind of working relationship go? Yeah. I mean, so she was,
1: she was a fantastic collaborator. Um, You know, we were, we were emailing one another back and forth. We were on slightly different production timelines, which meant Mm. that, you know, at times one or the other of us would need to sort of just forge forward. And then the other one would sort of pick up where, where that was left off. Um, But no, she, she was fantastic. You know, my and I, I imagine she was thinking about it much the same way. But my my approach was very much, all right. Here is where I'm going to try to carve out as much space as possible for yeah. the the Marvel Tie Fighter Shadow Wing side of things to to work. You know, I don't want to impose a lot of restrictions accidentally from what I'm doing and. Jody Hazard and, and Marvel could kind of go go wild with uh, with what stories uh, they wanted to tell. Once that that comic miniseries was sort of done and set in stone. I was able to bring more of those elements in for books two and three. Once we were like, okay, here's, here's what we're, what we're doing. I still tried to make sure that Jody was kind of in the loop on that. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't want to, I, <laughs> I was borrowing her toys for, uh, right. for, for that. So, you know, didn't, yeah. didn't want to break them. Didn't want to go anywhere. She, <laughs> uh, she wouldn't be comfortable uh, taking the characters.
0: Definitely. And I mean, I guess moving to your process and, and how you approached not only one book, but three books, the outline for since it was pitched you as a trilogy, which is incredible, really, I, again, cannot really think of opportunities like that in Star Wars normally. How did you approach that maybe outlining the three books? Was it mostly character beat focused? Did you have specific like endings in mind? Or what was your approach as you kind of went through this journey to create these these three books?
1: Sure. So one of the the very first things that I sent my uh, editor at Delray, uh, Elizabeth Schaefer, was, oh, it was maybe a three to five page document of here's here's my here's my concept for the trilogy as a whole. Uh-huh. So. Hit a couple of beats like all right. What's the tone of this thing? What are the the ideas we're exploring? What are we not doing? Where are we crossing over into Tie Fighter and Squadrons? Breakdowns of all the major characters. So just sort of what's what's the concept of this person? What's what's interesting mm-hmm. about them? Why are they interesting enough to uh, to go through three books at least right. for the ones who survived that whole time? And then maybe half a page or a little bit more half a page to a page of summary for book one and Mm -hmm. then about half of that for books two and three so had a sense of what's what's the spine of this story where are we going what are the what are the types of plot points that we're going to hit? So Mm -hmm. I knew that uh, one of our characters was going to get sort of stranded and isolated in book two, go through these sorts of experiences that Mm -hmm. would set her up for where she would be in book three. I didn't know where she was going to be stranded. I didn't know the plot mechanics of it. But I knew that was going to happen. And that was the sort of thing that, that was in the outline. I had... There were clearer concepts for some of the uh, places where the, the characters ended up. Others were left a little bit more open, depending on, you know, to have a little flexibility as we went. But yeah, the, the arc of the trilogy was, was pretty well planned, and we didn't really deviate from it much over, uh, over the, the couple of years of writing.
0: That's great, and I mean now I'd like to get a little little nitty gritty now, in terms because that's outlines and there's a few things that stand out to me in the books. We touched on characters briefly, and we'll go back to it. But how you write starfighter battles specifically is is just the best. It is just so so great. Especially again as a kid growing up reading the X-wing and Rogue Squadron books, all that stuff. Um, and I'm always just drawn to how tactile it feels, and just like how every scene feels so like physical and like you're in that cockpit and that, I'd, I'd be interested how you approach that what your hope is for those battles because sometimes i've read a bunch of books that have starfighter battles or wars or whatever it is in what whatever kind of genre and sometimes it can get very complicated or very you know you don't understand it i feel like at least in the alphabet squadron books it is very easy to follow but also serves character purposes and that process what what do you kind of do in order to ensure that that's the reader experience as well
1: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that it worked for you. Um, you know, <laughs> one of the one of the first things that you know I I started thinking about when when the concept for this this trilogy came up was, oh God, Starfighter battles are really hard to do in prose. Like prose is not the natural medium. You look at the films and you look at what works about the the Starfighter sequences there, and it is incredible speed the sense of visceral movement a lot of intercutting between different cockpits um right. a lot of sort of different sorts of shots and cinematography to create context for how the battle is working none of this is stuff that prose does well Right. Um, so yeah i mean my my challenge was to figure out all right well what's my what's my language and approach to starfighters a lot of that was getting inside the the heads of the pilots and figuring out what right. experientially that was like. So both on an emotional level, what are, you know, what are they invested in this fight? Like what is worrisome and stressful, you know, that we can't get inside someone's head like that in a film. So, you know, maybe I can right. make it feel okay in a book. Um, and then also the, the physicality of it all. So... Yeah. You know what does it feel like to accelerate? You know what what do you what do you smell when the cockpits start? You know when the instruments start burning as they so frequently do in Star Wars. Right. Uh, you know what what does a pilot recognize about sort of the the heartbeat of the engine and you know mm-hmm. what what are they able to tell about their situation just from the the vibrations beneath them? Um, and that gave me something to work with that was playing to the strengths of the novel format rather than, mm. than trying to imitate an on-screen dogfight.
0: Yeah, and it's it's very interesting, especially that you wrote the novelization for Rogue One, but it kind of Alphabet Squadron came on the heels of Rogue One's release and us because. Introduced to a new type of dogfight, really in Star Wars, we'd never really seen something as as kinetic as that. And these fights in the books really remind me of of what we see on screen in Rogue One. So look at that! You're really just
1: <laughs> no. I mean, I, I think Rogue, Rogue One was definitely good training uh, on the starfighter side, um, as well as just sort of you know I I'd mentioned while well, thinking about Rogue One. Getting inside the heads of the characters, and that was true for for the film action sequences as well, right? Like film film is not book, um, and mm-hmm. you need to find a way to to make the book interesting. But but yeah, talking about this sort of spectacle of the the starfighter sequence in Rogue One, uh, another one of the things that I did very very on, um, you know, before I even had any sort of coherent outline for the trilogy uh, for Alphabet Squadron was. All right, what's what's a bunch of sort of big set piece combats that I can do? What are what are interesting <laughs> things because I knew you can do a just sort of couple of fighters versus a couple of fighters in a big black void in a film or a TV series and still make it interesting. I did not have faith that I could make that interesting that many times in a row. So, you know, I had this list of like, okay, you know, is it, very video gamey in a sense of like, okay, what are the mission types? Capital ship escort, capital ship versus capital <laughs> ship, uh, right. starfighters versus a giant monster starfighters, you know, in an urban landscape. And I just, I had that as a, <laughs> as a grab bag. And I, I didn't actually return to it as much as I right. thought I might as I was writing the whole thing, but I think setting it all out beforehand helped help put some of those ideas in my head.
0: I mean, obviously added to that is not only are the the fights described incredibly, but then the characters you really do care about. And I'd love to touch a little bit on on that and how you kind of, you know, this cast of characters in my mind is joining upper echelons of, of iconic kind of, especially novel-only characters that we've never really met besides a book cover or a couple social illustrations, right? Uh, how did you kind of go about it? especially maybe that core five and their ancillary characters? How did you make sure that they were three-dimensional? Did you use... References, you think of an actor, like what was your process to make these characters really come to life over these three books? I mean, so
1: much of that was just feeling confident in them from the beginning. Um, once, Once the characters were clear in my mind and I knew where the story was going to take them, getting that down on paper was not the challenging part. Um, in terms of figuring out who that cast was going to be, you know, there was a mix of just what what character types am I comfortable with? Um, you know, I didn't want to go across the board things that I had never written before, when I had also never written a trilogy before, when I knew that there were going to be other challenges. So, you know, what... What feels, you know, kind of within my my comfort zone? What themes are ones that I immediately feel like I can grapple with? And you know, a lot of that was in Quell, who's sort of our our uh, our first among equals of protagonists, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. you know dealing with like, okay, well, this this is a defector, dealing with themes of guilt, dealing with, um, you know, all sorts of psychological trauma like that, stuff that I I felt, okay, I I know how to handle that that material. Mm -hmm. Um, Other characters were, you know, either in there, I mean, no one was only one thing, but in there in part to uh, play a role of contrast to other characters. Sure. I knew I wanted to have someone who was fundamentally idealistic about things. I, I could not do a pure team of sort of unre, unremitting
0: grimness. <laughs> uh, Sounds but, fun, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, we we had we had Will Larkin there to mm-hmm. sort of play that role as well as to examine other angles of what was going on. I knew I wanted to... Examine a number of things about what the galaxy looks like after Endor, and what things yeah. look like as the Republic is, well, as the Rebels are becoming a Republic, sure. as the Empire is going down. You know, I wanted to, things to to look different and to explore those changes. And one of the things that I wanted to deal in there uh, was the notion of. Um, the suppression of religion under the empire and then right. what that that looks like when that uh, becomes a free for all to a certain extent. Right. So that became an aspect of Trace's story. And, you know, there were there were all of these bits and pieces where, you know, and there were there were elements in there that was like, oh, I'd like to explore this but it didn't actually neatly fit with any of the other pieces. So it didn't, it uh, got tossed still, you know, it's in the back of my brain. I'll use it somewhere else someday. Um, right. But yeah, these characters were assembled from, from bits of where I wanted to go with plot and theme, character types I was interested in, what's going to, to you know, play well against one another. And, you know, by the time I had the first book, fully outlined i had a a pretty good comfort level with what i wanted to do obviously there's there's always subtle exploration and changes as sure. we go along
0: but those are the obviously the original characters and the original things that you had to kind of create and build and then i mean to round this out i feel like i've been gushing about off the squadron for like four hours now but to round it out with uh, especially the things like we mentioned a little bit earlier that might have already been rooted in Star Wars, like Hera, for instance, having a major role, but also even things like Operation Cinder or those red-robed messengers, right? Those things that maybe you had to rely on the story group for or tying it into squadrons more or whatever it was. I'd be interested in how you approach that, right? Obviously, you're no you're no stranger to tie in and you're no stranger to, to figuring that out, but how you made sure that that was achieved without then sacrificing like what you're mentioning these characters that you're really developing and really making sure are kind of holistic and three-dimensional.
1: Sure. And I, you know, I would have approached creating the the cast of original characters differently if I had not known that I was going to have Hera. Um, yeah. Like she's, she's nice to have in there as a pillar of star Warsiness um, right. right she she embodies so much about the franchise not just because she's a character that the audience is generally familiar with but just thematically you know she is this you know. good-hearted idealistic character with strong feelings about sort of found family as well as literal family um she is a character who sort of goes through that journey from being you know, she's never a loner, but she's a relatively sort of small time operator to right. really being a, a great leader and hero. Um, she's just, she works very well as someone to shine the light of Star Wars so that you see everything else going on around her in that context. Um, and she was, she was sort of the most. All of the little references to the most known canon material works in a similar way, but she was the one that was going to be in there throughout. For stuff like Operation Cinder, I may be misremembering and uh, not giving enough credit to someone who who saved the trilogy. But my my recollection is that <laughs> that was something where you know, as I was doing my sort of research binge, um. I might have read it before, but certainly I was immersing myself in, in all the material at, at that point, knowing I was going to write something in that era, uh, reading Greg Rucker's Shattered Empire uh, comic series where the concept of Cinder was introduced. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is this is really interesting. And yeah. <laughs> There was no there was no requirement to bring it in. I was like, oh yeah, I can do something with this. This is Definitely. this is good stuff. And of course, Battlefront had done even more with it and brought the the messengers to uh, to three D animated existence where they were <laughs> you know extremely compelling. And I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah. it's out there. Yeah. I may as well be using it. There's there's no point in yeah. reinventing the wheel when there is interesting material already in the rest of canon so you just sort of grab up whatever you find and go yeah i i needed something like this in my story i may as well use this thing that is you know quote real or you know already already established in some way
0: that's great and obviously uh in case listeners cannot tell huge fan of the trilogy, huge fan of Mr. Freed, and we've we've kept away a little bit from spoilers. So I, hopefully, if someone has not read these books yet, they feel more compelled to, to dive in now that the trilogy has been completed. Um, but moving beyond Star Wars, and to kind of round all of this out, um, where can people find you? What are you working on next? I know you were just talking about Violet Dawn, a Kickstarter potentially coming in the future. What else um, can people find you doing beyond Alphabet Squadron? Sure. So, uh, you know, you
1: can always get the get the latest. Um, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Alexander M. Freed. My website is alexanderfreed.com. I don't update it nearly as much as I should. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got a, uh, a comic book Kickstarter coming out in the, the near future for the uh, the Violet Dawn webcomic. Um, I'm excited about that. That's That's been a, a really fun project to, to work with. It's, it's wonderful to work with artists who are Way more talented than I am, and just have them bring this stuff into to visual glory. Um, I'm doing quite a lot of uh, video game work at the moment as well. Um, I'm not really ready to talk about much of it at this point, right. but I think people who've who've enjoyed uh, work that I've done in the past will uh, will like seeing what I'm I'm doing whenever I get to talk about it
0: wonderful no and again um check out victory's prize which has just just been released by del Rey, and then dive all the way back in to the original alphabet squadron if you have not yet because really is some of the best star wars stuff that has come out um over the past few years so mr freed thank you for letting me gush a little bit uh and thank you for taking the time for this interview i really appreciate it
1: no thank you for uh for letting me ramble
0: Thank you again to Mr. Freed for his time and candor, as well as his incredible stories. If this episode did not convince you to check out the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, I really don't know what else would. Thank you as well to Lauren and the PR team at Delray for helping set all of this up, and head to alexanderfreed.com for more updates on what is coming up next. As always, if you can leave a 5-star rating and review for this show, it means a lot and really helps this show out. But until our next episode. Stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.